Well, good morning. It is good to be with you today. Welcome. My name is Tyler. Uh, I'm one of the executive pastors here. Well, this Sunday, actually last Wednesday, we started this series of Lent. The series where we journey for the next 40 days towards the cross on Good Friday and ultimately the empty tomb on Easter. But this season of Lent is a way for us to slow down, to pause, to be reflective, to take a kind of a self-assessment, to see ourselves clearly, so that we don't just get to the spot where we're like, oh my goodness, Easter's next week, but that we can intentionally move through the season to allow God to speak to us in a new way. And so this morning, as you join us, we are starting this new Lent series that we're calling 24. Any 24 fans out there, it's kind of a might date us a little bit if we say, oh yeah, I love that show. There's no young hands in the air right now. I don't know if that makes you feel old. Oh, well, there's no young hands in the air right now. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, and it's a series, 24, where we are moving through the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. The events and, and the people that, that Jesus encountered in these last 24 hours that led up to his crucifixion. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to be journeying through that. And this morning, we find ourselves at what we're calling the dinner, the meal, this Passover time. No matter who you are today, if you have been a Christian your entire life, I want to invite you in this journey. And if you're sitting here today and and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you're watching online and you wouldn't, faith is just not for me. Maybe it used to be for you and it's not anymore, or maybe it just never has been and you just find yourself here because someone offered to buy you lunch if you came to church today. I want to invite you to stay tuned in as well. Because I think what we're going to talk about today is for all of us. As I was thinking about this morning, uh, it brought me back to remember and reflect on the process of planning uh, to get to our wedding day, Laura and I's wedding day. Uh, Last night in small group, most of them are sitting right over here, we talked about uh, some stories from our wedding day, and I won't share those uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, But there are a lot of good things that led up to our wedding, a lot of good moments in the planning. But can I tell you the worst part of it? The thing that was the absolute worst for me, that was painstaking, that I, I just, I couldn't wait for it to be over. The guest list. Oh, I hated the guest list. Because no matter what, I knew I was going to be leaving someone off that I cared about. Whether the wedding was 10 people or 100 people or 500 people, someone was going to be number 11 or someone was going to be 501. And we hate that, that, that decision of who's in and who's out. Who's invited, who's not invited. And probably this goes back for us to elementary, middle school, high school. Because we've all had those moments where we've been left out of something. Whether it's a party or a dinner or an event. And maybe on Facebook or maybe just from stories, we we heard that people are together and we think to ourselves, wait a minute, why didn't I get the invite? It's a painful thing to live in that tension of who's in, who's out. Maybe you've had to be the one that figures, okay, this is where the line is. This is who's coming. This is who's not coming. It's not a fun place to be. We don't love living in that tension. Who's in? Who's out? Who's invited? Who's not invited? Who gets the seat at the table, invited to the party? And what does all of this have to do with the Passover? That's what I want to talk about today. 
I mentioned earlier that all the way back to the Old Testament, the Israelites had this, this rhythm of celebrating these different feasts and festivals for different reasons. But there was one festival, kind of the cream of the crop, the, 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 the big one, which is what we're talking about today, Passover. Passover. And we know it's important because all four Gospels talk about it. There's not a lot of stories that all four Gospels include, include mentions of. Yet Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about this moment. And there's a little discrepancy on exactly what day did this happen. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have it on a, a certain day. And John kind of records it on a different day. And that can lead to some confusion. But probably what was happening there is that is just a reflection of the way that these individual people thought about and wrote about time. But what most scholars do agree is that this gathering that Jesus has with his disciples probably took place 12 to 24 hours before the rest of the Jewish community would have celebrated Passover. And we we hear that and we think, okay, well, why would they celebrate 12 to 24 hours before everybody else? Jesus knew that time was of the essence. Jesus knew he didn't have 12 to 24 hours. Jesus knew that within 12 to 24 hours, he would be hanging on a Roman execution cross. And so in these last moments, when he wanted to make it count, he gathers his disciples to this table, to this meal. And and what would be awesome, if we had time, we would spend a couple hours talking about each of the different elements of this meal. Because the more we understand about how this traditional Jewish Passover meal uh, would go, the more it illuminates every single word that Jesus says and every single thing that Jesus does. And we don't have time to spend two hours doing that today. Maybe someday we will. But it's important for us to recognize that when they would gather for this Passover meal, this wasn't just, you know, another thing to eat so that, you know, you got to eat dinner every single night. But this was a way of remembering and retelling the story of God, the story of of their people. This wasn't just an ancient story. This was their story, and it's our story too. But it was a way of retelling the story of how God had, had led God's people out of captivity. If you remember all the way back to Exodus, the Israelites find themselves enslaved in Egypt, right? Under the heel of Pharaoh. And they're crying for a way out. And God sends a leader, Moses, to be the person who would lead God's people out of captivity. And so for every year after they had been been released and freed from captivity in Egypt, they would gather to celebrate this meal as a way of remembering God's faithfulness and how God has rescued them. And so each little element in this meal represents something. And so they would have gathered like any other Passover meal. The disciples wouldn't have thought anything of it. It's an ordinary, common, every year kind of thing. And that's the scene that we have here in Matthew 26 as Jesus gathers the disciples. I want to read that with you real quick. It's going to be on the screens. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. If not, it'll be on the screens and you can follow along that way. Matthew 26, starting at verse 17. It reads like this. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. 
When the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Not like the most exciting celebration. It's kind of a, a wet blanket, throwing a little buzzkill onto the celebration. They look around and say, Geez, Jesus, way to take the, the air out of the room. Have you ever had like a, a meal, a family gathering, and there's always that one person, maybe you're this person, uh, who likes to say the really awkward things that make things just kind of uncomfortable? They bring up whatever it is, politics or, or whatever. That's kind of what this feels like that Jesus is doing. It's like they're having this nice meal and all of a sudden Jesus says this thing and they're all like, oh boy, this got heavy quick. They were very sad, of course, and began to say to him, one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is an incredibly ordinary meal for the disciples. Something that they would have done every year that they have been alive. However old they are, that's how many times they've celebrated the Passover. And so as they gathered for this time, they had an idea of how this was supposed to go. They anticipated what Jesus was going to say and what Jesus was going to do. It would be like if I said this phrase. This is, I need your help here, so you're going to have to participate a little bit. So if you're asleep, wake up real quick. If I say this phrase, let's get ready to... You know where it's going, Yes. Or how about this one? I'll sing this song. I won't sing much. I will spare you from singing at great length. But if I sang this song, take me out to the... Mm. Very good. You are so great this morning. Uh, We have some kids in here. It's family first. So kids, you can help me here. Anyone who knows this can help me. But kids, help me out here. If I said this, we don't talk about... If you don't know what they're talking about, you need to get with it. We don't talk about Bruno. We don't. We can talk about anybody else, but we do not talk about Bruno. But you know where these things go. We we have this experience, this cultural experience that says this is what's coming next. And so if I was to say something like, let's get ready to go to a basketball game, you would be like, what? That's not how it goes. You would know, you would be anticipating this is what is supposed to come next. See, in the same way, this is what's happening for the disciples. They know the Passover meal. They know how it's supposed to go. And yet Jesus takes this ordinary meal and begins to do this new thing. If you look at verse 26, it says that Jesus, after giving thanks, took the bread and broke it and gave it to them. And he said, take and eat. And they're getting ready to take a bite. And then he says, this is my body. And James leans over to John and says, did he just say this is his body? That's not how it goes. And John's like, I I don't know. I guess we should probably still eat it. 
And then he takes the cup. And after giving thanks, he says, take and drink. And they're getting ready to take and drink. He says, this is my blood. <laughs> they spit it all over the place. He just said, this is his blood. Well, what's going on? Is Jesus losing it? And then Jesus does this very bizarre thing. In verse 27, 29, excuse me, Jesus says this, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And we read this and we think, yeah, that's how that story goes. But for these disciples, for the first century audience that would have heard this, this meal is all about the past. It's about retelling and remembering what God has done back then. And yet somehow Jesus flips it and he begins talking about the future. I won't drink this again until we're together in my Father's kingdom. He's taking all of these ordinary things and he's shifting them to make the focus on him. This is my body. This is my blood. And then he begins to point towards the future. The disciples have to be scratching their head at this point. What in the world is happening? What is Jesus trying to do? Jesus is, is, is inserting himself into this Passover story. This is a story about how God uh, had rescued the Israelites from Pharaoh, and now it's like Jesus is, is saying that he's going to rescue us from something. What is going on here? And we see the way that Jesus is intentional and, and, and radically specific about what he is painting, this picture, this idea, this new creation. And that's like if we zoom in really close at the meal. But I wanna, what I want to do for a few minutes is I want to step back. I want to be like a fly on the wall looking at this scene, looking at this room. Because the things that Jesus says and does are incredible. But who is Jesus doing this with? Who's in the room with Jesus? If you're like me and you grew up in church you have probably seen this, seen this scene played out in a lot of different cartoons and movies and videos. And in every cartoon I can remember from growing up, this is how the scene went. Jesus would say, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And then they would all say, oh, no, not me, Jesus. And then Jesus would say, oh, the one who dips his hand in the cup with me is the one. And then Jesus and Judas would dip their hand in the cup at the same time. And then what would happen? Judas would leave. Right in that moment, moment Judas would be gone. The problem is none of the Gospels say that's what happened. That all we can gather from this is that as Jesus is doing these things, Judas is sitting right next to him. Judas is the one who would betray Jesus, turn Jesus over. And it's Judas who Jesus says these words to. Not only Judas, but we have Peter. Good old Peter, who loved to talk before he would think. Jesus, he said, I'll, I'll, I'll die for you, Jesus. And within the next 24 hours, Peter's the one who says, oh, I, I've never, I don't know the man. Jesus, I, I don't know who he is. I'm not connected to him. We have Judas, this betrayer. Peter, this denier. And then the rest of the disciples, who within hours, when Jesus is arrested, would run. Abandon Jesus in his darkest hour. We've got deniers, betrayers, and abandoners. 
And yet that's who Jesus invites into this new meal. That's who Jesus is. is This new covenant, this new thing that's happening, this is who's around the table. I love verse 27. Look at it if you have your Bible still open. He says this, drink from it, comma, all of you. This isn't just, hey, everybody take a drink. This is, hey, Peter, drink from this, all of you. I I like to imagine that Jesus said this about 12 times, looking each disciple right in the eye. Drink from this, all of you. One of the things that was common is that each person would have their own cup when they would have the Passover meal, and they would each take drinks from their own cup. Yet here we say that Jesus is taking one cup, giving thanks, and then giving this one cup to each one of them, this demonstration that they are together, they are united with Christ in Christ's grace. <laughs> this story is, is incredible and profound because what we see is that on the, on the cusp of Jesus' suffering and trial and pain and crucifixion, Jesus is taking time to remind the disciples, but to remind us as well, that God's table, God's table knows no bounds. This isn't something new about God's grace, see? But God's grace is revealed in a new way, as they have always thought about God's favor and God's people as having to be this certain lineage, a certain culture, the best of the best. And yet here Jesus demonstrates that God's grace is big enough and wide enough and deep enough for every single person who's sitting around that table and for every single person who is sitting in this room and watching online. God's table knows no bounds. incredible news. So what does that mean for us today? There's a couple things that come to mind. If this grace is for Judas and Peter and the rest of the disciples who would abandon Jesus, good enough for you and for me. There are people sitting in this room and watching online who are so overcome with guilt and shame and the the sense of unworthiness, yet this passage reminds us that even then, even in the midst of that, God's grace is drawing us towards God, that God's grace is big enough, that God's table is big enough for each one of us, no matter what we've experienced, what we've done, past or present, that God's grace is drawing us in. This also is a challenge for me. Because too often in my own life and in the lives of other Christians, I see this posture. This posture that acts more like we are the distributors of God's grace. Like we get to determine who has a seat at God's table. Sometimes we live our lives with these attitudes and these postures that that make it more like we are the gatekeepers of God's table. We have to keep the people out that don't belong there. God, help us. I don't want my life to be this gatekeeper to God's grace. 
I want my life. I want to be like the person who's saying, come, sit. Come and sit at God's table. Experience the grace. Experience the transformation. Experience the love that I've experienced because God's grace is for all of you. I don't want to block out the chair. Let me find this chair and then let me go find another chair. Let me see how many chairs I can get around this table because I believe that God's grace is big enough for every single person. Every single person on this room, watching online and in this world. God's grace is enough. (laughs) This Wednesday, we were getting ready to leave uh, the Ash Wednesday service. And our daughter Nora, who's two years old, she was thirsty. She asked for a drink, and we realized in that moment, most of her life has been through COVID. And a lot of COVID, all of the drinking fountains have been covered up so people aren't sharing the drinking fountain. And now the drinking fountains are back open. And so she said she wanted a drink, and so we realized in that moment, she's never drank from a drinking fountain before. And so my wife picked her up, and she leaned over, and we pushed the button, and you can guess what happened, right? Very little water made it into her mouth. It was on her chin and on her forehead and in her hair and on her arms and on her coat. This water got all over the place. See, hear me on this, friends. I want our lives to be these conduits, these transmitters, where the way that we live, the the invitation we have, can be a means where God's grace can get all over the place. That we aren't denying anyone a seat at God's table, but that they may come and experience the fullness of God's grace and love and mercy and forgiveness, just like I have. God's table knows no bounds. I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. There was a high school... And they were having all of these issues with, with bullying and fights breaking out. And the administration was trying to figure out, what, what do we do about this? And so they were bringing in these different speakers and people who were going to share and, and pep rallies and motivational speakers to try to kind of transform this so they could cut down on all these fights. But everything they did, nothing seemed to work. There was no change. And then there was this group of high school girls who decided that They just weren't satisfied with this reality. And so what they did is they started something they called No One Sits Alone. It's the most simple concept I've ever heard of. But in the cafeteria, they made sure that there was nobody who ate lunch by themselves. That it wasn't about, you know, athletes over here and and band over here and choir and, and studious people over here. They just invited people to sit at the table together to eat together, to talk together, to get to know one another. And slowly, day by day, week by week, the school started to see transformation as these students took time to sit at a table together. Because there's something powerful about sitting at a table together. A place of such deep intimacy and connection. A place where relationships take on this new form. See, Jesus seemed to understand this. Because in his last moments, when he wanted to impress this truth on the disciples, he didn't write a book. He didn't teach a class. This one's hard for me. He didn't preach a sermon. He shared a meal. 
because there's something powerful about gathering together around a table. And whether that is an actual table, maybe God is calling you to partake in this radical hospitality. Or maybe this table for you is more of an idea, of a posture of how you live your lives. Living in response to the grace that you have received to be a conduit of God's grace for those around you. See, here's what I'm I'm wondering today. That maybe this Lenten season, we have this invitation to re-examine grace. Grace is one of those baseline, foundation things of faith, and yet, how often do we take time to slow down and reflect and pause and think about that grace? That grace that is present and active in your life, and the ways in which we invite others to experience that grace as well. God's table knows no bounds. And we live our lives as if that is so.